Blog Talk Radio. This is Clarence Cloverleaf, welcoming you to Cloverleaf Radio. Remember, you can always dial in at 646-716-4378. Be sure to watch your language, please, as we are an all-ages program. But we would be delighted if you would sign up for a Blog Talk Radio account, should you so desire, as it will keep you connected with us. And you can always download the newest episodes for free. All righty, we are back for another exciting edition of Cloverleaf Radio. I'm the host of the most, Jimmy Falcon. I have no idea where my co-host Grimlina is, but I see our special guest is here, Julie Ann Ream. How are you doing, Julie? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, you know, it's storming pretty crazy up here in Illinois. We're getting some crazy thunderstorms, so I'm not a big fan of that, but I, I guess it's good for the crops. Yeah, I've been to Illinois a couple of times, and the weather is um, is severe. It can get very severe. It, yeah, it's weird. It'll be like 91 days, it's snowing the next. It's kind of like living in Colorado <laughs> or something. It's not much different in California. Well, how's everything going for you today, Julie? Terrific. I had a talk today to do a Western talk on Westerns in the Santa Clarita Valley, and I... I spoke at a luncheon and then came right back to to make this call and to speak with you. It was a great uh, a great afternoon. Very cool. Well, I noticed when looking uh, through your stuff getting ready for this interview that you're related to the iconic Glenn Strange. Uh, I am. How's the relationship yeah. go there? And um, you know, did you ever get to meet him or anything like that? That's kind of neat. Oh yeah, he was my uncle. He was fantastic. I was a lucky girl. I. I grew up with, uh, surrounded by, my family were TV and motion picture cowboys and singing cowboys, and I grew up in that. And uh, there's just so much about Glenn that people don't know, you know, that uh, he was a wonderful, not only was he, he started off as a as a rodeoer, he started off there, and, and um a great musician. He started off as a musician before he went into acting. And he, after he went into acting, he actually wrote the scores and the music for a lot of westerns. He's an academy, uh, not an academy, but an award-winning um, uh, writer for the scores of westerns. So his career was very diverse. Of course, he went on to become the Frankenstein monster. Oh, absolutely. Did some great stuff with Abbott and Costello and a lot of great screen legends. He sure did. But before that, he was a cowboy actor, and he was Butch Cavendish in The Lone Ranger, and he shot and killed all the Texas Rangers and and uh, was a bad guy. He was a very famous TV bad guy before that. He and my grandfather, they I call him Uncle Glenn because I, that's how I knew him and grew up with him, but he and my father, my grandfather, were born two weeks apart to sisters, and they were first cousins and joined at the hip and did absolutely everything together. My grandfather's name was Cactus Mac, and uh, he started the band that uh, he left uh, Cactus Mac and his Obaro Cowboys to the very youngest member of the band, and it went on to become uh, uh, develop into the Sons of the Pioneers. So they go way, way, way back. That young member was became Roy Rogers. So they go way back. Everybody who likes Westerns definitely knows the name of uh, Roy Rogers, Day 11, for sure. Right, right. 
Yeah. So that's how I grew up. That's how I grew up. And then I branched out myself and I uh, worked on uh, with NBC on Unsolved Mysteries as an investigative agent for 10 years. And of course, that was hosted by Robert Stack. And he remembered me from being young and uh, he was a he was a TV cowboy as well. And he's you know, who didn't start their career out uh, if they went back far enough as uh, being in Westerns. And so that's how he remembered me so that he ended his career in Unsolved Mysteries and I began mine there. So it was it was all very interesting, really cool stuff. Of course, I was curious uh, about your work on Unsolved Mysteries. How did all that come about? Uh, what were some of your fond memories of working on a, a great show like that that I enjoyed watching very much? It was absolutely the best, and I think I got hired because I'm really great at multitasking. I work better under pressure and when my feet are held to the fire. And my seg- my segment of Unsolved Mysteries, it wasn't – they did the recreations that were filmed in, in the can, and then they did the live portion, which was update. And uh, that's the section that I was involved in. And what they did was in – in uh you know they interjected the most recent current crimes and what needed to be handled and um i worked when i worked for them it was before dna right about the time amber alerts began but before dna and so we would quickly have to decide which cases to run and uh prioritize them and then we would fly the um it was the only part of the show that was live, and we would fr- fly the uh, police officers affiliated with the cases we chose out, and they would pick them up at the airport uh, around 3.30. We would air uh, to the 30 operators. We'd air the show to them that we were going to do. Uh, they would see the show uh, right away. They would They would see it, and then the officers would tell them what they needed to know in order to look when they got incoming calls and the segment ran uh, to to be able to take the call seriously. They'd have enough additional information to do that, and I was given information beyond that. So um, I was the hot tip taker, and everything was set up in the corner for me to, to receive um, just for them to shoot it all over there. And when we got something instant, it would the first show would air at 5 o'clock, here and it was eight o'clock on the east coast and they would shoot it over if uh to me if we felt that it was um uh, a legitimate phone call so i had to know what i was know the case well enough to ask the questions of the caller i needed to to ask myself, I needed to have the uh, and I had the law enforcement tel- officers involved telling me what to do in one ear, the call in that same ear, the director telling me what to do because they were filming it in one ear, and a camera in my face, and uh, it was really a high, high pressure job. And I think that is what allowed me to learn how to become a producer, and because producers wear all the hats and. Um, so that's what I do now. I produce live events. And so that's one thing just leads to another. And that's you know, what I do now. one thing about Unsolved Mysteries, it really, uh-huh. uh, you know, it was kind of a new thing back then. But nowadays there's so many shows like the first 48 shows that are, mm-hmm. you know, going about these these crimes like this. I think Unsolved Mysteries was definitely a, 
the fire. Unsolved Mysteries in America's genre. Most Wanted started all of that. Yes, they did. They started all of that. And it, we had a 40% solve rate before DNA. And I still have all my case files. I'm looking up at my notebooks now in my office, and I still have all my files. And um, so many cases have been solved on those subsequent shows uh, through DNA. And one thing that will make the listeners feel a little bit better is 90% of the time that uh, the person who committed this crime, this cold case, uh, is sitting in jail serving for another crime that they committed. They're mostly not out free. They're mostly behind bars for an unrelated case or something that they've done. So that's a little comforting. They may not be serving the time for the particular crime that we covered, but just the fact that they are serving time because um, that's a little bit more comforting. But, boy, there are so, so, so many crazy stories on that show that just defy logic that was very interesting. That's what led – it was Unsolved Mysteries that led to my – uh, being a, a contributing uh, factor to the Mark Eisler show. he, I was driving home really late one night from a gig that I had, and he was in a panic listening to talk radio. He said, I need a absolute crash course on the Jean Benet Ramsey case. If there's anyone out there that can catch me up to speed, I'm not familiar with it. And it was the biggest, hottest breaking news story that day was that young man at the end of the day that came out and said he had committed the murder, which, of course, he did not. And I knew what had happened, and I knew who who did. He, I, I knew what we knew, and I knew that this man did not uh, commit this crime. So I called up, pulled off the side of the road, and caught him up to speed with, between he and his producer just as fast as I could to educate him on this case. And they asked me if I would stay on the line through the rest of the uh, radio show so they could discuss this. And then that just led one thing to another, and uh, and I would come in and, 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 and do the Mark Eisler show from time to time And when his producer was caught somewhere in New York or, or they wanted to do something different. And it was um, wonderful. It was great fun. Yeah, I definitely uh, remember John Mark Carr, I'm guessing, is who you're talking about. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, and uh, uh, you know, course. John Bonet, well, that was just uh, happened way back in 96. I remember it like it was yesterday. It's definitely one of the most terrific uh, unsolved crimes of the 90s, in my opinion. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, a case is only as good as the law enforcement that's handling it, you know, how it's whether it's or not it's going to get solved. And um, Boulder was definitely not prepared for for any of uh, what went on there. And it wasn't, uh, it was, I'm not going to say it was an unusual case. It was pretty cut and dried, but, um, you know, they've had, they have private investigators out now that are looking at who it is that committed this crime. And it's what we determined very early on, like 97, uh, uh, we had it figured out. And um, I still stand behind that that is what happened, what they're coming out with. Now, there was a young man, I won't name names, but someone who was suspected early on that, um, you know, uh, it looks most promising at this point. He he committed suicide uh, right after the, the murder. And um, that's who looks like 
that, that, that that's what happened. But interesting. It's just an all, all interesting all the way around. You know, it's one of those things that won't – you can speculate, but it won't ever – ever be solved because it didn't, uh, you know, go down the in criminal justice line. So that's what happens. Absolutely. It's very unfortunate that, uh, you know, if that man did commit the crime, he'll never be brought to justice. It is unfortunate. It is. Well, he's not with us any longer, so that is at least, you know, other. it's not going to happen to someone else. So you just have to kind of look at it that way. Absolutely. Well, I know you're working on uh, a lot of things coming up in the future, some we've discussed. Uh, what does the future hold for you, and you have anything you'd like to plug or promote, like your website? I would. What I just finished is pro- producing 60 years of the TV series Gunsmoke. That's what uh, it took me forever. It was like a little having a little baby. It it was um, my family ended their careers on Gunsmoke. My grandfather appeared in more episodes than any other actor, and um, my uncle Glenn, of course, was Sam the bartender on Gunsmoke. So I was a child, got to grow up on that set, and doing what I do, producing live events, of course, the 60th uh, anniversary of the show, uh, you know, landed on me to produce, and we had such a fabulous um a fabulous show, and it, it we had everyone, the Arness family, Angie Dickinson, Martin Landau, Michael Learned, Morgan Woodward, Gerald McCraney, Morgan Brittany, just more people than I can name that were there, and um, it was, uh, I have a four-disc DVD set for anyone who didn't see the show, and a lot of other memorabilia on the show, and the actual footage that we used at the show uh, available on the website gunsmoke60th60th.com. And if you're looking to see what else is going on, you can look at my personal website, with it, which is julianreem.com. Uh, and there's lots of things I'm involved in. National Day of the Cowboy. Um, I write for many books I'm working on, right, one right now. I'm a member of the Hollywood support group of the National Veterans Memorial and just invited to um, write a book on PT, uh, write for a book, the second uh, book that's coming out on PTSD called No Apologies. The author is Cindy Smith, and she's asked me to become involved. And, um, of course, I'm going to be doing that, and we present medals uh, for uh, service for actors that served in the military at the Silver Spur Awards each year that happens out here in L.A. in September. I think this sh- year's show is September 16th. So lots and lots and lots going on. You can check both those websites to see what what's up and what's going on. Well, very cool, Julie. I'm so happy that things are going great for you, and you know, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great talking with you. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. Absolutely. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All righty. Well, uh, my co-host, Remlina, missed a good show, but uh, I don't know if she hasn't been getting my, uh, you know, tagging in the flyers or whatnot. You know, something's going on there, unfortunately. But uh, we will be back tomorrow. We're welcoming uh, actress Lauren O'Quinn from Tooth 2, Dolphin Tale 2, House of Cards and Bloodline, and just uh, signed... This big man is going to be at this year's Dark History Con with me, actor Robert Allen. Slipping in the water, boy, from the mines and wild hogs. Oh, great actor and stuntman there. So that is what's coming up for us, and we will see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening.
Have a great night.